1: Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money. It's good to be back here at the Nasdaq. I'm Courtney Reagan filling in this evening for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Dan Nathan, Karen Fireman, Guy Adami and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin goes bust. Prices crashing below the $32,000 mark for the first time since February. Will the crypto's role in the Colonial Pipeline hack mean the world's about to change for the digital coin? Plus, Lordstown hits a major roadblock. The headline that sent shares of the EV maker plunging at the end of the day and well into the after-hours trade, too. And move over AMC. There is a new favorite stock with Redditors. We will tell you what it is and what options traders think is Next, for this name in the potential meme game here. But let's start with the latest on the Colonial Pipeline hack with CEO Joseph Blunt heading to Capitol Hill to testify on the breach. For all of the latest details, let's get to Eamon Jabbers. Hi, Eamon. Good evening.
2: Yeah. Hi, Courtney. This hearing was really about examining two decisions that Joseph Blount made at Colonial Pipeline. One was the decision decision to shut down the pipeline altogether. And then the other one was that controversial decision about paying the ransom in order to justify himself. It was, this was an interesting moment. He was asked at one point what the worst case scenario could possibly have been here uh, in terms of Colonial Pipeline not paying the ransom. Here's what he said.
3: It took us from Friday all the way to Wednesday afternoon the following, and we already started to see pandemonium going on in the markets, people doing unsafe things like filling you know, garbage bags full of gasoline or people fist-fighting in line at, at the, uh, the fuel pump. The concern would be what, what would happen if it is stretched on beyond that
2: amount of time. He raised the prospect that you could see a situation where jet fuel couldn't get to jets, where first responders wouldn't have access to their, their vehicles, you know, all of the kinds of things that would have happened in this country if he hadn't made that decision to pay that ransom. Another interesting moment was this question of whether or not Colonial Pipeline could operate manually. Why is it, senators wanted to know, that this is so uh, data-driven and computer-driven? Why can't they just simply turn valves and operate the pipeline? Here's what he said on that.
3: A lot of those people that did operate Colonial Pipeline and other infrastructure in America historically, manually, they're retiring or they're gone. Fortunately, we still have that last bit of that generation, which allowed us to do what we did during this particular event.
2: So, Courtney, there's a little bit of a back-to-the-future moment here where he's talking about this older generation of pipeline workers who actually know how to turn dials and valves and all the things you need to do to operate a pipeline manually. That, he said, is aging out of the workforce, but that might be what they need going forward, he said, uh, in order to hedge against the risk of these kind of pipeline hacks. And that's something that I think a lot of corporate America might take into account. How do you go back to an analog past uh, and, and hedge against sort of the crash of the digital future? Fascinating moment and fascinating decisions here by a CEO, Courtney.
1: Absolutely, and I was just thinking to myself, there actually provides me some level of comfort that an actual human could get involved and make some fixes that have been caused by disruption in technology.
2: Just like the old days.
1: Hey, you know, back to the future, just like you said. Eamon, thank you very much. All right, let's go to the desk here, and I want to start with you and trade this. There's a lot of layers and levels to this story. Let's move things like cryptocurrency to the side. How does this make you think about cyber software companies, companies that protect with ransomware and all of these different levels of security for all of our lives that are now run online?
4: Well, you could see obviously the demand for that product, right, would be sky high. But another thing that I think about is What kind of duplicate measures do companies need to take? How much more expense do we need to think that they need to build in so that they can have some maybe analog solution to some of these potentially cyber problems? Is there a workaround there? It's sort of, I mean, to the extent that this can happen, we didn't talk about Fastly, but... Mm -hmm. To the extent that these kind of things can happen it it does have another it it adds another level of risk to any company and i don't know how to value that yet right right so you know in a few days when this story goes away maybe i'll forget about it and yet the risk is still there for sure we've seen it we've seen it over and over now so i don't know how to think about that and then i always come to all right cybersecurity stocks are sky high is now the time Mm -hmm. to buy them my gut would tell me not yet no not or it was but not now so at the moment,
1: I'll probably just sit there being scared of risk. <laughs> which All right. Is what I do. There you go, <laughs> Dan. What do you think about this? How's the way to play it if you're scared or not scared of risk?
0: I, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, listen, we're seeing, we're going to talk about a couple of issues, in instances just this week of a single point of failure. You know, we've spent the last 20 years thinking about the war on terror, saying we're not going to negotiate with terror uh, terrorists. And mm-hmm. when you think about what's going on, when you have a fiduciary responsibility, you're a, a corporation, right? You have investors, and then you have customers that rely on you. you have have to figure out how to kind of avoid these things. One of them would be um, not having single factor authenticity, you know, like, uh, you know, like that, right. that, that's a big issue here, right? You know, so like, it doesn't seem like they had the proper um, procedures in place to avoid this sort of thing. It seemed pretty simple at the end of the day.
1: So Guy, if you are a trader or an investor in some of these, let's It could be any company, I guess. I mean, look back years ago at Target and the data hack that was done there. If you're a company, if you are a retailer or you're a pipeline, what do you need to tell your investors? Some of that information perhaps you don't want to share, right? You don't want to sort of give away the goods and then make yourself more susceptible to one of these hacks. But if you're an investor, how do you evaluate if these companies are appropriately protected or if they have dual authentication?
3: First, it's great to have you here, Courtney. It's, there's an inevitability to this, and I, I don't know the data, but I would submit probably correctly for every one we hear about, for every story we talk about, there are probably 20 companies that get hacked that we never hear about for whatever reason uh, that is. I mean, this is not going away anytime soon. You know, the good news, I guess, for single stocks, it's not going to affect the single stocks. The bad news is I just think this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, if you really want to take down a society we, we consider ourselves to be you know, civil and, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, down the chain of evolution. We are on the head of a pin in terms of anarchy. And you heard that thought before about people filling up garbage bags with gasoline. If you really want to get things going, take down the grid, take down the banking system. And unfortunately, I think that's on the horizon. So for me, this isn't a story necessarily about the cybersecurity stocks or how to play it. It's about what it potentially could mean to the United States as a whole. And I don't like the picture that it uh, portrays.
1: I was going to say, wow, thanks for scaring us, Guy. Good evening to you as well. Mr. Seymour, what do you think? you think you want to be a buyer of a name like FireEye or Palo Alto Networks, any of these companies you think that will have to benefit from protections going forward that companies are going to have to make investments in?
5: Well, I, guys, right to, to point out some of these uh, calm existential risks that, that are out there. And I think we're going to be attaching a, a much greater cost in terms of discounts uh, that we're attaching uh, in, on our valuations if you're doing a DCF or, I mean, but, but to companies that are in industries that might be more at risk. Uh, at some point, I think there's a cost to it, both in terms of uh, how we value companies, but certainly obviously in, in the C-suite, there's a cost to this. And I, you know it's kind of with some irony, that we all moved to disaster recovery plans, um, which meant moving to the cloud, which meant moving to a place that was maybe even more easy to take out um, than the brick and the mortar. And I obviously, you know, I know that from my own businesses over the years. um, And I think that's really where, you know, a lot of corporate America have gone. Back to the the cyber stocks, look, they're expensive. Um, but as we've talked about for the last couple of weeks around this story, um, they haven't all run dramatically around this story or in the middle of two of the, the bigger you know, dynamics that we or events that we've talked about. Um, and again, the solar winds one is another one. I, I think you've got a case where uh, I like CrowdStrike. I like the reinforcement we've got from them from the, uh, the recent round of earnings. We, we got to hear about uh, ARR growth of 75 percent, revenue growth of 80 percent, um, a, a valuation that probably isn't supposed to make sense here. But you look at, at, at again, the portfolio of clients and the growth there and the breadth there. And and, and I, it, you know, I, I'm not that scared of that valuation for a guy that's not quite as uh, uh, high growth stock valuation averse as Karen. But but I do care about valuations a lot. And, and I think this is a case where you have to pay up.
0: Well, two things here, Um, gross margins for most corporations in the U.S. are at all-time highs and taxes are at all-time lows, right? So there's plenty of opportunity here to invest in this sort of security apparatus to kind of avoid some of these very high-profile ones. You mentioned the Target one from years ago. I'm sure there's plenty of companies that kind of figured it out that that it's just – you know that just can't happen for a consumer-facing company like that. The other thing on valuation is really clear. You know, Yes, some of these companies trade at ridiculous multiples. You mentioned Palo Alto. This trades about seven times next year's sales for a company that is growing sales about 20% a year, and we know that there's going to be demand for those products from years and years going here. So to me, I think there's probably plenty of places that you can play where maybe in traditional metrics it may seem a little expensive, but for enterprise software trading at seven times the out-year sales, that seems pretty reasonable right
1: now. That's a good point. And there's another layer to the story we want to talk about. The use of Bitcoin, of course, to pay the Colonial Pipeline hackers, sending crypto prices plunging across the board today. But will this prompt real regulation for the industry? Let's bring in Kristen Smith. She's Executive Director of the Blockchain Association. Kristen, thank you for being here. You know, I understand that you don't think that the FBI's intervention in this by getting access to the password and being able to recover some of this or all of the ransom, at least from that account, will really wreck Bitcoin. Why not? Isn't that sort of part of what we're supposed to love about Bitcoin, how protective
6: it is and, and how locked it is? Well, just because they got a hold of the private key doesn't mean that Bitcoin is broken, nor other crypto networks are broken. Um, there's a lot of ways that people can get a hold of private keys if they get onto computers and um, they were stored in a way that isn't secure. And so we don't know the precise um, circumstances around how they got it. But I think the important thing with this case, Colonial Pipeline, is that they worked with law enforcement very early and they were able to work together on a strategy going forward. And so I think as we learn more and more details, if we do learn more and more details, we will find that Um, indeed bitcoin is not broken it is a very open um, very transparent um, you can go in and see the code there's not a vulnerability there Um, it is strong and will continue to be strong
4: it's karen let me ask you something i mean to me this is somewhat of a sideshow of the bitcoin story and to the extent that that is about fiat currencies and uh, a digital currency this it doesn't seem so relevant What do you think are the central stories right now in Bitcoin, and what's sort of being weakened right now that it's trading lower?
6: Well, listen, prices move for a lot of different reasons, right? Um, You know, there was a lot of euphoria around Bitcoin last week. I was down in Miami at the Bitcoin conference, and. Maybe this is, um, you know, the fact that that's over, prices have collapsed a little bit. Um, it could be misunderstanding. There are a lot of new investors in this space. But, you know, Bitcoin is incredibly strong. There are only 21 or there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. We only have about 18 million um, in circulation today, but the, the rest will be mined in the future. And that makes it a scarce digital asset that will have value to those who value a scarce place to store Store their you know um value so i think that um what we really need to be looking at with cryptocurrency networks is what is the underlying function of that network and there's so much innovation happening right now with decentralized finance with web 3.0 applications that really do provide um, a new type of critical infrastructure uh to use that phrase that is less vulnerable so we saw earlier today the internet went out for a little bit because AWS is around, there's an alternative to that. It's called BioCoin. Um, that is a decentralized network that wouldn't go down. So I think as investors become more sophisticated, as users start to integrate cryptocurrency-based products into their life, uh, we will see these less volatile swings on the news.
5: Hey, Kristen, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, the term sideshow has been used, uh, I think, by Karen. So how about the sideshow of Elon Musk or the sideshow of other CEOs that have gone out of their way uh, to talk about where they're using Bitcoin, where it's it's lit a fire under things. Um, do you think, on some level, that's actually de- detracting uh, from first of all use cases you just talked about networks that are you know not at all necessarily Bitcoin reliant. Um, and and you know, but the overall uh, story here, which has gotten more attention probably from a handful of individuals who may not at all uh, be a part of this.
6: Yeah, no, I think that um, it's unfortunate that we've seen um, such reaction to statements by Elon Musk. I mean, I think a lot of that is driven a little bit by a misunderstanding. I mean, it's definitely something that I think is around, at least for the foreseeable future. So if you are a consumer and you're thinking about purchasing Bitcoin, you know, you very much need to be aware that That there are um, reactions to things like that, and that's something you need to watch out for. And so, um, you know, you you know, you shouldn't be putting um, your your assets into the space if you can't stomach some of the swings that the markets uh, are are uh, undergoing these days. That's pretty good
1: advice for anyone wanting to play in the crypto space. Kristen Smith, thank you very much for being here with us tonight. Let's go ahead and trade this. Guy, what do you think about Bitcoin? Down 50% from the all-time high. So does this give you an opportunity to get in, or is there just more risk to come from a tweet from Elon Musk or anything else that makes this cryptocurrency go wild?
3: Certainly would appear there's more risk to come. I mean, listen, if you think, like many people do, that this is an asset that's going to half a million dollars a coin or so, the difference between 30,000 and 20,000 is negligible. If you think this is something to trade, you know, the next case back to 50,000, and obviously from 30 to 20 is significant. Carter Worth has said a number of times his work suggests it's going to trade down to 20,000 or so, which makes sense for a myriad of different reasons. A lot of people are lining up that way. So I do think there's still risk to come. I'm surprised it hasn't manifested itself in terms of uh, volatility in the equity markets. I think it's just a matter of time before. A further fall in crypto is going to start to have a negative impact on equities.
1: That is a good point. Market's relatively flat today, but let's take a look at fastly over the last 24 hours. Karen brought it up earlier. Shares of the cloud company dropping after system failure caused outages at a broad array of websites. But the stock ended the day up more than 10%. It doesn't appear to be a hack, but it also highlights another vulnerability in our tech infrastructure. So Dan, why in the heck were shares up today?
0: No one left to sell. I mean, the stock's down at the lows today, down 65% from its all-time highs made about six months ago. Um, this was a high flyer, it was a pandemic winner. Um, they saw massive pull forward in some demand for their products. And you know, again, you know, single point of failure here, a lot of websites went down, a lot of companies, there's a lot of customer concentration here. Um, so you have a, this situation where there's 22% short interest, you got some bad news people can't really quantify it i mean this is not something that you can say oh this is their fault or this is x percent of their business and you know you just run out of sellers and get a good old-fashioned short squeeze right there tim maybe some naked shorts in
5: there i don't know
1: <laughs> tim you want to jump in
5: i uh, just think you have a case where uh, there's been a a whirlwind a whirlwind around the stock i i You know, I think there's more volatility to come. I'm not sure that uh, the selling pressure is over, but I agree with Dan. At some point, you see exhaustion.
1: All right. Well, coming up, new virus fears are causing some major shipping delays in China. Look, we've heard this before. So what does that mean for the retail trade? But first, shares of Lordstown Motors falling hard today. We'll tell you what was behind the big drop. This is when Fast Money returns. Stick around. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Lordstown Motors dropping sharply today after the company issued a stark warning about its future. Let's get to Phil Lebeau with the details. Hi, Phil.
8: Hey, what's going on? You know, this is a, no, a report from Lordstown Motors that is not a complete surprise, given the fact that the company on Friday was told by... Uh, The NASDAQ, look, you've got to file a 10Q. You haven't done it. If you don't file one, we may delist you. Well, they filed the 10Q today, including a going concern notice. And in that going concern, they outline what the problem is. It's all about cash. And we've known this for some time, that they have very little cash. They were looking for some strategic investors, possibly some infusion of cash. The company saying the company believes that its current level of cash and cash equivalents are not sufficient to fund commercial-scale production and the launch the sale of such vehicles we're talking about the first pickup truck which is scheduled to go into production by the end of the third quarter that is the endurance pickup truck but as you take a look at shares of lordstown again losing about 30 percent courtney just today the real question becomes if they don't have the cash right now they don't find a strategic investor they don't come up with some way to get a big infusion of cash as quickly as possible will they even make it to production by the end of the third quarter curious to see what happens over the next couple of weeks.
1: So, Phil, this is sort of like you said at the beginning of your report, just confirmation previously of what they basically told us when they reported their earnings. They just didn't in an official capacity in a 10-Q, right?
8: Right. But anytime you say we're questioning whether or not we can be a going concern, that really, that's ultimately, if you're an investor, you have to sit there and say, am I going to keep my money in these guys? Because there's a decent chance that they may not be around three months, six months from now, if they're not going to be able to make it to production? Because if they don't make it to production, Courtney, what do you have? What, what's going to happen with these right. guys? I mean, that's that's At the end of the day, that is the main question.
1: Absolutely. Phil, thank you so much. You bet. Let's trade this name. All right, Karen, I feel like we just talked about this a couple weeks ago when they put out the earnings. I mean, right. would you get anywhere near this?
4: No, it's not that kind of thing. But on the flip side, though, this <laughs> is very similar to what they put out before, right? I don't get that this is new in any way, except that a little time has gone by. There is no deal with a strategic partner yet. Every day that goes by, the leverage of the strategic partner, whoever that might be, GM, whoever, I don't know, that they have a little bit stronger hand, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were in it for that strategic partner, I mean, maybe you start to get a little worried, but to me, not that much has really changed. Hmm. I don't know, I mean, this is just the auditor saying, this is a language you have to use,
1: ongoing concern. That's you know, it's a red flag. It should be, but it does it doesn't sound like new news to me. Right. So now that it's taken a further dip down, Dan you're feeling risky. What no. do you think? I mean, well, but, what, if they find, what if they find a strategic partner?
0: Not my cup of tea either. No? Here's okay. the thing. This fits right into this whole meme stock frenzy. It's mm-hmm. asymmetric. We know where it can go. It can go to zero, but it's got 31% of short interest. It's a $2 billion pre-revenue market cap company, and who knows what the addressable market is. If, if some big auto company came in or some strategic partner there's going to be one of those little meme things, you know, where it goes straight up and then to the like moon and the, the little the rocket. rocket. Yeah, yeah, all that yeah. sort of thing. So I'm just saying that it's not my cup of tea,
5: but I'm sure there's plenty out there on the Internet are down with it.
1: What do you think, Tim, drinking the tea?
5: No, definitely not. Karen said it's not her thing. It's not Dan's cup of tea. Uh, you know, <laughs> this sounds like battery acid um, and, and pun intended. I mean, this is awful. Uh, they, they told you production was going to be half of what it was. Uh, they told you, you know, a handful of things on that earnings call that we talked about. Mm-hmm. But you know, the fact this is a company that has 250 to 275 million in capex. There's a significant amount of OPEX costs and I, you know, there's no cash anywhere. Um, so yes, there's short interest and yes, this thing could be bid higher, but maybe, it, you know, a strategic takes it out for how much and just say one of the major OEMs wanted it. Um, what are they going to pay for this asset uh, at this point, especially pre-production and, you know a company that really has very very little room to maneuver so uh an announcement like today and a going concern yes maybe there's certain things that they have to say uh, but we talked about this uh when we we were on for the reporting of, of their numbers they, the the numbers are terrible but the balance sheet uh, potentially doesn't exist and why would you invest here when when you have a ford and a gm that have businesses that are, are very exposed to ev and hydro fuel hydro hydrogen fuel cell technology and autonomous, um, where the valuations are very attractive.
1: Right. I think I was with you all that night that Lordstown reported. So it feels like a very similar (laughs) conversation, except we have to talk about it when the stock drops that much in reaction, whether or not we all think it's new news or not. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here is what's coming up next.
7: China facing some major shipping
2: delays as virus fears spark back up. So what does that mean for the state of retail? The traders are checking out that trade next. Plus, options traders are going crazy over some new Reddit darlings. So which name should you be digging into? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
4: For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com projectup Project Up.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. COVID-19 cases are surging near a vital port in southern China. If the virus can't get contained soon, it could create major disruptions for global supply chains. I feel like we've been here before and I don't like it. CNBC senior correspondent Eunice Yun is live in Beijing with more. Eunice, tell us what's going on.
9: Well, Courtney, the outbreak is occurring about a thousand miles from where I am in the trading hub of Guangzhou. But even so, vaccination centers like the one behind me say that they are seeing a surge in the number of residents looking to get jabs. And uh, this is after the local officials had described the transmissibility of this new variant uh, called Delta from India. As alarming. So, what's happening is that health officials said that they've detected that the early cases came from a restaurant where the patients had no direct contact and were also sitting very far away from each other, several yards, much further than with the original strain from Wuhan. Also, several of the cases have been uh, asymptomatic, uh, which would make it much more difficult for the authorities here to be able to track. People in the general population with the thermal scanners that have popped up all over the country. And finally, and maybe most uh, disconcerting, is that some of those patients had been um, inoculated with Chinese vaccines, which would suggest that the homegrown vaccines aren't necessarily as effective um, against this particular strain. Now, the authorities were very quick to point out that none of the illnesses have become deadly. Um, Officials, though, are moving very aggressively to try to stamp out this virus. Uh, They've already been testing um, several people in Guangzhou, 18 million in three days. Uh, They've been sending in medical workers, thousands of them, locking down residential communities in Guangzhou. And um, they've also imposed uh, travel restrictions on several of the uh, cities in that area. Uh, So, as you can imagine, uh, these trader controls are having a disruptive effect on businesses there at the port, in particular one called Yantian. This is um, a massive port that handles one-quarter of the goods from China that are shipped to the United States. Uh, That port is seeing a capacity reduction. And because of that, as you can imagine, it's having a knock-on effect on the ports that are around. Yantian, and that's because ships are rerouting. They're going to smaller ones like Sheko or Nansha, and uh, trucking costs are going up. That's, the shippers are all complaining that they're seeing these these um, rises, that truckers are waiting outside the gate. And uh, they said to expect that on top of all the problems that the shippers have been having because of the global logjam, um, that waiting times are going to
1: extend by another three weeks. Courtney? Wow, Eunice, thank you so much for giving us the rundown there. There's really a lot to get to. And so we wanna get more on Eunice's mention of the global supply chain and then the likely consumer impact. Joining us is Brett Rose. He is the CEO of United National Consumer Suppliers. It's a company that helps manufacturers deliver overstocks through ports around the world. Uh, Brett, you know, thank you so much for joining us. Eunice made a number of points, but right there at the end, she talked about how we're already very constrained, very congested in the world, when it comes to shipping because of a variety of factors. So add in this new Delta variant causing a disruption at a port that handles a quarter of the goods that are shipped from China to the United States. I mean, how bad is it? Can you quantify that for us?
10: So, we, you know, we look at this on a daily basis and this isn't going to just affect the mall down the street. This is going to trickle down to Wall Street. There, you know, there's no good timing for another variant, right? But from a supply chain standpoint, the timing is horrible. You have a tremendously strained supply chain from the original closures back in March all the way through to the recent closures in India, coupled with a current 3 to 4x shipping rate on containers out of China. Mm-hmm. Fuel cost up here, here, you know, we are – the timing is horrific. It's going to cause massive delays in the supply chain and really going to have a tremendous economic effect here. Mike, a lot of people – well, I shouldn't say a lot of people.
3: There are people that think this supply chains problem take care of themselves relatively quickly. I think nothing could be sort of further from the truth. Can you speak to how long these things take to sort of sort
10: themselves out? Yeah, you know, we're, we're north of 12 months off of the beginning of the closure, right? And we're already seeing, still seeing, I should say, major delays on everything from fitness equipment to, you know, people weren't panic buying toilet paper. People were panic buying everything. So consumerism is at an all-time high you know, in our lifetime, and there's not enough product to, to, to meet the demand. So you know, it, these, these effects are here for quite a while. You're going to see this continue Q3 all the way through Q4 and definitely hit. That's our biggest shopping
7: season.
1: Brett, I want to sneak in one more before we have to let you go. I mean, you're talking about uh, the demand for products, but what does it mean for the prices that consumers ultimately pay? This has to be a costly endeavor for companies that are looking to import anything if you're talking about rerouting or extending the time. So ultimately, are we going to pay more? And if so, when and on what products?
10: Yeah, by about Q3, you're going to start to see everything across the board go up. Fitness equipment's up 15% because of the cost of steel you know, currency fluctuations, the retailer can only withstand so much before it starts to trickle down on the street and affect the pricing. And it's either going to affect the pricing to the consumer or their stock price is going to take a serious hit. And I think we all know how that's going to go.
1: Brett Rose, thank you very much for joining us here today. It's been good to speak with you again. All right, Karen, so if this is going to have an impact on the prices that consumers pay, even though we seem so strong as a consumer right now in the United States, what does that mean for how you play some of these stocks?
4: So I think about when you have these kind of shortages, you have uh, it's very difficult to get to get your goods here. Who has the most juice in that game? The Walmarts of the world, right? The Amazons of the world, the Targets of the world. So for my retail exposure, that's where I wanna be. They've been able to weather it the best. I would assume they have the most clout in negotiating. They're gonna get the goods first. They also are are the biggest and so they have scale which allows them to maybe absorb a little bit of that price
1: increase. So that's how I would play it. That's how I am long, long Walmart, long Target, long Amazon. Well, speaking of Amazon, Guy, what do you think that means, say, for Prime Day coming up? Uh, that's a, a big online shopping holiday for everyone but you, because I know you don't buy anything online. Last we talked, I don't think you'd ever made an online purchase. But if you are a normal person in America and you are shopping perhaps on Prime Day on Amazon or otherwise, what does that mean for the prices you're willing to pay or the access to goods that you'll have? Well,
3: I think that, first of all, thank you for pointing it out, because that is true. I am definitely not a normal person. And I don't think it's. Listen, I think people are willing to pay up. I think what we've learned is people are willing to pay up for their goods. And if it takes an extra day, so be it. But that speaks to the bigger problem that I see and other people think is maybe just temporary. You know, it's inflation all around us. And we're just having a conversation about exactly that. So this story, I don't think it necessarily affects Amazon. I think Karen makes a great point. By the way, Tim and Dan will tell you that Amazon has basically traded sideways since July, August of last year. The stock has gone nowhere which I think is somewhat interesting as well. But to me, it speaks to a bigger problem, the problem being the inflationary pressures that whether we acknowledge or not are there. Okay, this is the
0: definition of transitory. I mean, like, like, like literally, and, and also what it does for all those inflation hawks, it actually throws a monkey wrench into um, this, the whole idea that the Fed is going to have to combat this inflation by raising interest rates. They're actually going to have to do the exact opposite if the consumer is getting pinched here. But I'd also make the uh, argument, while we still have expanded unemployment benefits, there's still a lot of liquidity in the system. We have consumer balance sheets in great place you know, here to kind of offset some of these transitory price increases. So to me, I just don't really buy it. I mean, like I think Courtney said it before, these things tend to work themselves out over time here. And we don't know how long this will last. But I will also say that if it were to last longer than expected, this is the issue in China in the ports here. It just gives the Fed that much more cover to remain dovish.
1: Mm, So you may be a little bit more positive than our next guest, who actually says now is the time to be cautious on the consumer. So let's bring in Chris Perone of Strategist to chart it all out for us. Chris, take it away.
11: Hey, Courtney. Yeah, you know, I think this is a time where we might want to be a little bit more on guard in discretionary. You know, we have crude at 70. The expectations are big, but quietly, the stocks have actually started to soften under the surface. And remember, this is an early cycle group. Discretionary tends to work very well in the first year off of a low. Well, we're 14, 15 months now off the low, and I think we're starting to see some signs of exhaustion uh, with these stocks. So we've brought along five charts that I want to show you. Uh, The first is very simple, and I, I just think it's worth acknowledging, With the S&P back at the highs, you only have about 50% of the discretionary sector above the 50-day moving average here. So there's been some uh, internal weakness that has started to show up uh, in this sector uh, over the last number of weeks. I think that's notable. Momentum has come out. If you go to our second chart here, I also think very notable that the relative performance of the sector has flagged versus the S&P. And this is equal weight. So this is not just Amazon or Netflix the average discretionary stock has started to soften relative to the index. So there's been some subtle weakness there that has started to emerge over the last, let's call it six, seven, eight weeks. If you dig down on some of the names, we've brought along four. Three good ones, um, three bad ones, and one pretty good one. On the weak side, Nike has probably topped here. And this is a stock that hasn't made any progress in six or seven months, On a relative basis, it's making new relative lows. That 130 level is huge. I don't think it's gonna hold here. And at the very least, I think we can say it's not leadership. Uh, If you go to our next name, LVS, you know, epicenter name at the heart of this reopen, just another example of a discretionary stock that hasn't worked here. These are 10 year relative lows for LVS. So epicenter names have softened. Uh, CMG, Chipotle, another one of the weaker names in this group. Uh, Obviously a restaurant here, high PE name, very expensive. Rates have come in and this didn't go up. I think that should concern us. Another name breaking down in relative terms. So three weak ones there. On the positive side, the autos are the best group in discretionary. General Motors, I think is an example of a very strong auto name within the sector. Focus on leadership. GM is leadership. We think it's on its way to 73, 74, 75. It trades 63 right now. Autos are leadership. The rest of the sector here a little punky.
1: Chris, thank you very much. Those are some good charts and some good names for us to toss around. Tim, I want to start with you. What do you think? Are you a buyer of any of these names? Nike, Las Vegas, Sands, Chipotle, GM?
5: Well, we've talked cars. I've, I've talked GM a lot, so people know I'm both there. Um, let me talk about Nike because it's a name I've owned for a long time, too. And, and Chris does great work. And what he's pointing out is that you've got the 50, first of all, coming across here. It's below the 50, as he said. It, it gave that up a while ago. And you're, you're basically seeing the 50 about to cross over the 200 to the downside or a bear cross around 131. The stock hasn't traded below the 200 in, in over two years at, if you take out the, the COVID spike down. And at you know, roughly 390 a share on forecast for 22. It's it's trading 44 times ish. So, I mean, look, I like the valuation when the stock chart looked different. I like the valuation less here, but I, I, I love the company. And and I'll just say this. There are retailers, especially in discretionary and the Walmarts and Targets, Karen talked about that with higher prices, um, it's actually a good time to own them. Um, and I actually think that they do have the pricing power and they can pass that on, especially with a consumer right now that has a couple extra nickels in their pocket. So I'm worried about Nike. I hate that chart, but I like the company.
1: Yeah, good point about the uh, price hikes. Chipotle actually hiking prices to cover the cost of rising wages. But that has been a stock that's been pretty popular with a number of traders. Well, coming up, retail traders eyeing some new targets on Reddit. And the options market is getting in on the surge. We'll find out what they're seeing. But first, it's a micron meltdown. Shares falling hard today as pricing concerns spook investors. We've got more on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill for you. Chipmaker Micron dropping more than 4% today on concerns over DRAM pricing and PC demand. Shares are now down 17% from record highs hit just two months ago. Dan, what's the play here on this one? MU used to be such a momentum trade. What's going on? Yeah,
0: it's kind of lost its momentum. And it's kind of interesting if you look at the chart here and you see where it topped out. It was in uh, sometime in April. And, you know, the great Tom Lee, who often comes on this program, he had a note out today talking about inflation expectations really started to come down. If you're looking at the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield that topped out in March. And I think that kind of flies very closely to what's going on in some of these sort of cyclical sort of semis um, like Micron, for instance. And so now we're starting to hear analysts talk about less demand, less pricing, less PC demand, that sort of thing. And that actually ties in pretty well with what Tom's thesis is. Now, Tom's thesis is bond yields are going down, inflation expectations topped out. You want to buy equities. So maybe down 17 percent, maybe the worst is in it for Micron. We know it's a cheap stock here. Um, but, you know, to me, I think that's the back half story is that a lot of these supply dyna- uh, demand dynamics that were odd because of the pandemic are going to abate in the back half of the year. And we're going to see less demand and maybe some oversupply. But who knows what the port thing.
1: Mm, Guy, what do you make here of the move in Micron and whether or not you'd be a player here?
0: What's today? The 8th of June, right? So
3: that means May 25th wasn't all that long ago. I mean, I can't do that math, but it doesn't seem like it was all that long ago. I mentioned that because on that day, Micron spoke at a JP Morgan conference and they magically said, and I'm just looking at it here strong demand for DRAM and NAND. It's amazing how quickly things have changed on Mm -hmm. that front. One has to wonder what changed. Stock was trading 81, by the way, on that day. Uh, You don't, Tim will say this, and it's true. you, You don't buy these stocks. When the valuation is low, that typically is sort of a um, bit of a red flag. It feels like there's more downside here. And if they're telling you that DRAM prices are going lower, these these stocks tend to be very commoditized when things are going bad. And it can overshoot to the downside, just like it recently overshot to the upside.
1: OK, we will watch out for the warning. Not that much below 81, though, right now at 80.53. Coming up, options traders hoping to cash in on a new Reddit target. Professor Coe joins us next to lay down that trade. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back quickly right after this.
2: Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Subscribe to the Fast Money podcast.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out these monster movers, former SPAC, Clover Health and Wendy's. Ripping to new all-time highs as the Reddit crowd jumps in. Clover was the second most popular name on Wall Street bets today. According to ThinkNum data, it's now up 190% since the beginning of June it's june 8th perhaps unsurprisingly options action in act, options activity i should say in clover also went wild today so let's bring in mike co with the action the options action i just jumped myself early there mike what caught your eye
3: yeah so uh, you mentioned it was the second most mentioned named it was actually the busiest in single stock option space it traded 15 times its average daily options volume the most active contracts were the june twenty two contracts, more than two hundred and sixty thousand of those traded for about four dollars and sixty cents per share. Multiply that by a hundred to get the multiple per contract. By the way, that is more contracts traded on just that one clover health option than all Microsoft options traded today combined right now, the options market is implying a move of about ten and a half dollars by a week from Friday, but Most of the bets that we're seeing from the Reddit Rebellion crowd seem to be betting that the rally in this thing could somehow continue.
1: Well, these stocks, it's just like you never know who the next target is going to be. But thinking about Wendy's made me want a Frosty all day long today. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's on Friday at 530 p.m. Eastern time. Well, coming up, stocks closing near record highs. So what do you do with your money? The traders are laying out their playbooks next. And as CNBC continues to celebrate Pride Month all June, here's Goldman Sachs' Maeve Bay.
10: The way around stigma
5: is through encouragement and support by those around you. I was very fortunate that when I decided to come out at Goldman Sachs exactly two years ago, I had that support from my colleagues, but there was one colleague in particular who sent me flowers on that day. This was a straight cisgender person, and that gesture, knowing that I had the support of somebody at the highest level of the firm, made all the difference
9: to me.
1: Welcome back. Here is a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Activision. Catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Well, the S&P holding on to gains Tuesday to close within a whisper of an all-time high. The index has quietly climbed more than 4% off its May lows. Tim, what do you make of these moves and the inability to set a new record so close?
5: Well, look, I'm not too worried about it. Again, as you pointed out, we're talking about four and a quarter percent since the intraday lows of May 19th. And, and uh, you know, I think the thing investors should be focused on perversely is that yields are falling. Um, I don't think that's good. And, and and again, they're falling at a time when you're seeing commodity prices continue to move higher. Look at that move higher again on Brent. We keep talking about that story keep, uh, I I think, stay focused on the OIH and oil services. But um, the fact that yields uh, intraday lows were back to kind of levels from March, Um, i I be careful what you wish for. I know a lot of people were worried about the move higher in rates. I'm more worried about the move lower.
1: Dan, what do you think about rates? You brought it up a little earlier.
0: I can't agree with Tim more. It seems like everybody is positioned for higher rates. They're positioning their portfolios that way. If I look at that 10-year U.S. Treasury yield and we break this kind of 146 level, that was the day um, after that um, May jobs report where we saw that really sharp drop in rates and it came back a little bit. You're looking at 1.2%. And I just, listen, you could say that's great for equities and I know a lot of people feel that way, but to Tim's point, um, what else is going on? How weak is the data? Are we going to get a June, really bad report, uh, three consecutive months in a row. And what does that mean, I guess, for the economic recovery? And then you layer in all the stuff that we've been talking about. Lots of bad stuff out there right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Karen. Lots of bad stuff. But trading in equities largely sideways. Today, pretty quiet. What does that set you up for tomorrow, going into next week even?
4: Well, tomorrow, we have a little bit of data tomorrow, but uh, the next day we have CPI. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. been a really important metric, right? So I don't I have been sort of a believer that inflation is coming I know that it seems the transitory I get it that makes sense there's a lot you know you can see contango in a lot of commodities and why that might be the case but you know I'm long financials I'd rather have rates a little firmer than weaker I'd rather have the economy doing a little better and rates be a little hotter maybe we'll get a sense of that with the CPI on Thursday if we get a really hot number people can still make the, oh, it's transitory. And that may very well be so. <laughs> right. right. It's still transitory. That I believe it. I'm not I'm not right. I'm not making fun of it. But if we see a less hot number, then maybe more and more people will gravitate to the
1: transitory trade. Probably not great for for a lot of things. I to right? say both things yeah. can be true, right? You can have inflation, but it can also be transitory. Well, coming up next, we've got your final trades. Make sure you don't go anywhere. It's time, for the, it's time for the final trade. Guy.
5: Slumberger, Courtney. All right, Tim. Great having you, Courtney. Amazon.
1: Thank you. Karen. EWW, the Mexico ETF. And, and. Yeah,
0: Guy's had a great call on Oracle. I'd be a seller in their earnings next week.
1: All right, it's been great to be here back on Fast Money at the NASDAQ. Thank you for watching. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.